Good morning, everyone. We are going to continue our series this morning and flourish. If you want to take your Bibles, please turn to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to focus on verses 4 to 6 this morning, where it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's this typical scenario, whether you're a kid or an adult, you've been part of it, and it goes like this. A child is with mom or dad, and they have an encounter with another adult, and that adult gives the child something or does something really nice for that child, maybe gives them a a balloon or a toy, or at the end of this month, it'll be a candy, and, and the child takes it, they receive it, and they're so engrossed in it immediately that there's no response to the adult that gave it to them. There's no verbal response in particular, and so the parent stops the child and says, Johnny, what do you say? Susan, what do you say? And what do we expect? What is the expected answer? Let me hear it. You're welcome. Thank you. Why do we expect them to say thank you? Well, it's Thanksgiving weekend, and you're expecting me to talk to us this morning about how we should all be thankful. And I'm not going to disappoint you. I'm not... We're going to talk about why we need to be thankful. Before we get there, I want to address the question, what if I don't feel like giving thanks? What if today, where I am right now in my moment, in my circumstances, I do not feel like giving thanks? What then? Today, we are very accustomed to being led by our feelings. We often ask not just, what do you think? More often, we ask, how do you feel? We don't say, well, if it's logical, do it. We say, if it feels good, do it. Dallas Willard, who is examining what's happening in our world in his deep book, Renovation of the Heart, said, in our culture today, the direction of the self is usually left to feelings. And the will, if it is recognized at all, is either identified with feelings or else regarded as helpless in the face of feelings. And even in our Christian faith, sometimes as Christians, We go by our feelings as to whether we are okay with God or not, as to whether God loves us or whether he has an an amazing plan for our lives. Do I feel that God loves me? And even the way we interpret scripture and justify our behavior according to it, sometimes we go by how we feel about what we've read. So rather than subjecting ourselves to scripture, we subject scripture to our feelings. And feelings can be all over the map. Some feelings are destructive and hurtful, but some feelings are good. God created us to be emotional people, to have feelings, to feel, to be happy, to be sad, to enjoy, to experience pleasure. These are gifts from God. It's just that feelings are really lousy in the driver's seat of our lives. We were meant to make choices. And I'm convinced as we look at God's scripture and it tells us that we are to do things, it actually commands us to do things, God does so for the good of ourselves and our society. And sometimes we just need to take our feelings by the lapels and tell them to come along for the ride or we'll never drive into 
our destination of flourishing. So this morning we're going to talk about choices and three things, making a choice to rejoice, making a choice to pray, and making a choice to give thanks. We begin in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, and there Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. He's going to talk about being thankful, but first it's like he takes it up a notch. Rejoice. The word rejoice means like to show joy, to show delight, to celebrate, and, and it's written in an imperative. This is not a suggestion. This is something Paul is saying. You guys, you need to do this. Cause yourselves to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a command. Do it. Now, Paul doesn't ask any of the church in Philippi what their circumstances are before he tells them this. And I think it would be good for us to know a little bit about Paul's circumstances when he wrote this. Paul was a prisoner. And prison times uh, in those days were, were quite different than prison would be like here today. I have been in prison a number of times, uh, not as a prisoner, but as a visitor uh, through this wonderful organization called M2. And so I've been to a number of prisons, and I know that prisons have a lot of rights. Um, most prisoners sleep in a cell where it's just them, or there's one other person. Uh, some of their cells have, have windows. They're barred, but they have windows. Light comes in. They have open spaces where they can walk. There's fields where they can walk within a boundary. Uh, sometimes there's baseball fields. Um, they have lounges. They have workplaces. Some of them can work and actually get paid a minimal amount of, of dollars for what they do, and they can bank that and then buy things with that. Um, I was even at a prison where they had billiard tables. So when you think of prison, it's in, in first century times, it's so much different than the prison that we have today. The worst kind of prison, which Paul experienced, would have been a place of, of real darkness, of, of, of psychological dark. Uh, prisoners were grouped together in large numbers. They didn't have a cot or a bed. They wouldn't have a sink. Um, it, would be, it would be dark and dingy. It'd be stinky. You have all these bodies. Uh, they weren't bathed every day. Um, they did their business in the corner of the, of the room. So you can imagine how disgusting. They'd be chained, and so they'd have these rusty chains around their ankles, which would cut into their legs when they were in movement. Paul experienced probably the worst kind of his imprisonment in the place that he is now writing to, Philippi. And we see in Acts chapter 16 some of the details of his imprisonment there. We read in verse 23 of Acts 16. And when they had afflict, inflicted many blows upon them, speaking of Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, no light, and fastened their feet in stocks. They were chained. Paul and his companion Silas were beaten, and yet a miracle happens, and we know the story. Uh, an earthquake comes, and the jailer has to bring a light to see who's still there because it was a place of gross darkness. And miracle number two is that though they were freed from their chains, all the prisoners stayed. And the jailer is... is uh, He's so convicted and so overwhelmed by this act of, of graciousness by Paul and Silas and the others that he takes Paul and Silas, he takes them to his home, and right away he feeds them because they wouldn't have been fed properly either. An amazing story, and, and, and we hear about it, but what were Paul and Silas doing in that prison? Well, we read in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
The rest is history. Amazing story. When Paul writes to Philippi now, our best guess is that he's, in, he's a prisoner in Rome. It's a different kind of imprisonment this time. It's not necessarily in a dark, uh, dingy place. It's, it's a, prisoner, a prison called military custody. He, he's, uh, it's like a house arrest. So, but he's got, a, he's got a prison guard with him all the time. He still has chains. So wherever he goes, there's a guard in his personal space. This is still not the greatest experience. And from there, he's now writing to the church in Philippi. So his life experience has been all about um, being falsely accused. It's about imprisonment, going hungry without food. It's about darkness. It's about loss of, of personal freedom. It's about displacement. And as he writes this letter now to the church in Philippi, he doesn't know if he's going to live one more day. He's on death row. Surely this kind of person needs to be propped up. Surely this kind of person needs to be deeply encouraged. And yet he writes to the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord. Excuse me, who's writing this? Rejoice in the Lord. You don't know my circumstances. Do you know Paul's? Rejoice in the Lord. And in case we, we didn't get it, Paul says, and again, I will say, Rejoice. Paul is advocating that we live by choice, that we make the choice, that we focus on the choice of rejoicing, not just because of our circumstances, but because of whose we are, the Lord. I think David, another great uh, person in the Bible, would have advocated the same thing. We read in Psalm 103 where he writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul. In other words, my soul, I want you to hear this. David takes his soul by the lapels and he says, we're going to bless the Lord. We're going to rejoice in the Lord. We're going to praise the Lord. See, there's a lot of messages in our world, a lot of critical, negative messages that we're constantly bombarded with. Our government is doing things wrong. Another nation's government is doing things wrong. Your athlete that you cheer for is performing wrong. Or he says something or does something wrong. And then there's the weather. The weather is doing something wrong. Negative, negative, negative. And there's your own life. Things are going wrong. The things you don't have. The things that aren't going right for you. The things that you need. There are many, many ways. There's lots of material if you want to look at the negative things around us. But what's God's directive to us through Paul? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Make a choice to focus on Jesus in your life. When you focus on Jesus, you are going to find, as the song says, 10,000 reasons. In other words, you are going to find an unlimited number of reasons to bless the Lord, to rejoice in him. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Don't forget his benefits. In Philippians, Paul, is, or Paul has already written about Jesus and, and what he's done for us. In chapter 2, it talks about how he is God. Like he is, he is God, he made the universe. He, he could do anything he wants, but he limits himself. He becomes one of us as a human being. He steps into our world. And as the perfect God-man, he walks in obedience before the Father. And he walks right to the cross. And on that cross, he takes upon himself the sin of humanity, the shame of humanity, 
But he was the perfect sacrifice, and in his obedience, death could not hold him. And so he rises to victory, and he's been given a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess that he is Lord. Paul, later in this uh, chapter in Philippians 4, talks about thinking on the right things, the things that are true, just, lovely, worthy. You can't think any better than to think on the person of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. Now Paul is going to tell us how that is going to be good for us, but it's not only the right thing to do, but it has this incredible benefit in our lives. But first he says this. Let your reasonableness, verse 5, be known to everyone. The word reasonableness is also translated gentleness or moderation. So don't be a person who's whipside by emotion. And Paul might have been thinking still of, of two women he's talked about earlier in this chapter that wouldn't, weren't getting along with one another. And he tells them to agree with one another. People that are whipsawed by their emotions, often are, are, it's hard to have a relationship with them. Paul says, let your gentleness, let your reasonableness, let your moderation be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What a difference it makes when you know that it doesn't matter what's going on in my circumstances and how I feel. If, if, God is, or if God is near me, if his presence is around me, the Lord is at hand. He is there to intervene in my circumstances. He's much closer than you might think to intervene into yours. The Lord is at hand. Wouldn't that change all of our responses if we were always aware that God is like right there? right there, willing to be involved in our lives. He's already at work. He's already present. One of the most debilitating feelings that we can have is anxiety. And Paul immediately goes there. He says, don't be anxious for anything. And we talked a little bit about anxiety last week. I, I have had a friend, uh, uh, a good friend of mine in his middle years, um, you know, he'd been a leader in, in uh, different circumstances and, and all of a sudden started to experience panic attacks and this unwanted anxiety in his life. And the worst thing I could have ever said to him was, don't be anxious for anything. Um, that would have been completely insensitive as to what was going on in his life. There's, there's sometimes conditions and medical, uh, chemical things that are going on that need to be addressed from a holistic point of view. Um, but some of our anxiety is self-induced. Some of our anxiety is self-perpetuated, and we need to be aware of that. On college campuses today, anxiety disorders are more prevalent, prevalent now than what used to be the most prevalent disorder on, on, on campus, which was depression. Now they're, they're dealing with more anxiety disorders than depression. Kids nowadays are struggling with anxiety like they've never struggled before. A lot of you have seen that little spinner toy the fidget spinner, I mean, this, it just went bananas. Do you know that was created to help kids with their anxiety? That was why it was originally designed, so they'd have something to do, take their mind off of the anxiety that they might have. The New York Times wrote this year, anxiety is starting to seem like a sociological condition too. A shared cultural experience that feeds on alarmist CNN graphics and metastasizes through social media. In Luke's gospel, it talks about don't be anxious about your food, about your clothing, about your shelter. But we have, it's like we have way more opportunity to be anxious about more things than that, about what's going on in our world, about North Korea, about ISIS, and about 
our own technological world. Like we can be anxious about whether somebody likes our Facebook post or our Instagram post or not. We can be anxious about our phone and, and I haven't checked it in the last 30 seconds. They have studied that that is causing anxiety in our lives. So from circumstances to technology to personal relationships, whatever it could be, Paul would still say to us, don't be anxious for anything, but make a choice. Make a choice to deal with your anxieties in a different way. He says, make a choice to pray. Verse 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is not to be the last resort, but the first. It should be the first thing we do with our circumstances. You need to remind yourself, we are not on our own. That God is there and he wants to hear what's on your heart and mind. The burdens that you are carrying, God wants to hear about them. He wants you to verbalize those concerns that you have, not stew about them in your own head and heart. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, it's, it's not that God doesn't know what's going on in your life. It's not like as you pray to God and you say, you know, God, I'm really struggling with this relationship at work. Um, my supervisor is so difficult to, to deal with. And as you verbalize that to God, God is going, oh, really? I didn't know anything about that. Thank you for telling me. Or when you pray, God, I'm so struggling with raising my daughter. Like, we're just clashing right now, Lord. And, oh, it's so hard for me. Would you help me to have the, the right attitudes like yesterday Lord she came home and she was so rebellious and she spoke so disrespectful to me and God goes oh really I had no idea she's such a nice looking girl <laughs> I think there's a reason why God wants us to verbalize requests to him it's it's for us it's for our benefit that as you speak, your whole being is, is hearing yourself speak. Your soul is hearing yourself speak. And it's like, you can, it's like it, it becomes real that you are offloading those heavy things that you are carrying and you are now placing them in the Father's arms as you let your requests be made known to him. It's about you. God wants you to, to have that off your chest and into his arms. He will carry it. And he says, don't just ask, but ask with thanksgiving. Make a choice to give thanks. There we go. Thanksgiving weekend. In the couple of weeks leading up uh, to this message and this text, and as I read Philippians chapter 4 and what's happening there, I was reminded for my own life about, like, am I really making it an ongoing practice in my life to be a rejoicer? And so I would try and take, uh, like, 10 minutes of time or whatever and just really be intentional about just rejoicing, celebrating in God. And it was really great, but not always. It's not like my life turned on a, on a dime and it got, you know, 50% better. This week, I had a really hard, dark day. And I, I don't know why. I felt sad. I felt some of the losses in my life. And there was anxiety about, oh, I'm behind on so many things. How do I get caught up? And I tell you that because I want you to know, when Paul says, don't be anxious for anything, it's not like I think he thinks you can just flip a switch and you're like you're this 
super joyful, cheerful person, we make a choice and we do battle because there's a reason why we do because the truth is who Jesus is and what he's done for us is infinitely greater than the difficulty of our circumstances. And it's good for us. It leads to flourishing. There are all kinds of studies done in the secular world about what happens when people start to be more grateful. Very quickly, there's a a Dr. Robert Emmons. His research is referenced a lot. What he did was he took through three uh, different test groups. Uh, The first group, uh, at the end of every week, he had them write down five things that they were grateful for that happened during that week. The second test group, he had them write down five different hassles that they experienced during that particular week. And And the third group... They didn't tell them anything, whether good or bad. They just said, record five things that happened to you this week. And of course, what they discovered was the group that were were commissioned to be grateful uh, were doing so much better in their personal lives. Like they were um, 25% happier. How do you measure happiness? I have no idea. But that's the statistic. They were, after 10 weeks, they're 25% happier And then they did another test where they had them now record daily the the record of good things that happened in their life during that day. And and things went even better as they did it daily. In fact, they found that they would end up doing more good towards other people. Why? Because they're taking their eyes off themselves and all the negative, negative, negative. And as you start to look at the positive and give, give gratitude, you, you, who you, you know, your disposition changes and you start to take your eyes off yourself and even start to serve other people amazing. But Paul would bring us back to something even greater than that, the benefit. He says in verse 6, and the peace that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds. You see, when we turn our focus to Jesus, when we think on Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us, and the Father, how he gave his Son And how God gave us his Holy Spirit to empower us. When we start to focus on those things and we begin to pray, when we begin to make the choice to do things God way, and we pray, we rejoice, and we give thanks, God works. Earlier in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then he says, it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So as we make choices and we step into it, you're not doing it on your own. What happens is the very presence of God begins to enter into that place and bring you to a place of flourishing. You can't think your way to peace. You can't think your way to shalom or flourishing. It can only happen as a byproduct of a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And as you take the right choices, make the right choices, take the right steps, it happens by his doing. Just a few verses later, Paul says, as you think on the right things and you do the right things, he says, the God of peace will be with you. As Paul gives an example of his own life, being content in this prison situation, he says the verse that is so often quoted out of context, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in case you think this is a one-off from Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, verses 16 to 18, he writes very similar things. Rejoice always, Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
our youth uh, went over this phrase, first we form our habits, then our habits form us. See, feelings can come and go. They can be all over the map, but as we begin to make the right choices and do the right things, our feelings begin to change too. My hope is that a, a disposition to joy and giving thanks becomes the lifestyle that God intends for us, and in so doing, we find life. So what we can control is that we can make the right choices. And do you know that every day you, you choose to override your feelings and make a choice? I know that's true about just everybody in this room. It's called waking up in the morning. Not many people, when their alarm goes off in the morning, have this instant, I'm out of bed. Most of us, when that clock hits 6 o'clock or 6.01, we already had to have a strategy in our minds about how we're going to stay in bed just a little bit longer. We know where that snooze button is. I know people that have strategies for how they're going to wake up in the morning. One of our staff, and he gave me, he gave me permission to share this. I mean, his strategy is legendary. Uh, he sets 10 alarms, and it starts one hour before he wakes up. And he has two in different places away from his bed, so he has to get up. And the third is the typical alarm clock. Ten alarms, one-hour strategy. Why? Because we don't want to do it. And at some point, your will says, yes, I make the choice. Why? Because I know if I want to keep my job, if I want to spend the day with my family, all these good things, I have to override my feelings. And later, they'll fall in line. That's what God is asking of us. And through it, he's, he's going to give us life, his presence. Earlier in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. All of us can make choices. Make choices to, to rejoice. Make choices to pray, make choices to give thanks, and there we experience him. And may the God of peace, wholeness, shalom, flourishing, be with you. As Paul writes, the Lord is at hand. Happy Thanksgiving. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you gave us your son, Jesus. He solved the big dilemma, problem in our life, brought us into a relationship with you. And because of you, God, we can walk in peace and harmony and joy and freedom in life. I thank you that you came to give life and that you came to give it most abundantly. Lord, help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and in these choices that we need to make. But God, we do so knowing that you're the one who works for us to will and to do of your good pleasure. This morning, Lord, we give you thanks. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. We are uh, going to respond in a song, and as we do, 
the ushers are going to come forward just to remind you of the four ministries that we are going to be uh, giving towards with our special Thanksgiving offering this morning. Uh, the first one is Friday night basketball, so helping kids to be able to go to a basketball program on Friday nights where they're going to be trained in a sport, but also they're going to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're also going to be investing in a ministry called Gain, where they dig water wells in Africa. Um, we're going to be supporting Meta Communities, a church plant in Vancouver in the West End. Dennis spoke here last Sunday. And then also we're going to be investing in Building Leaders for Peace, which we heard about this morning. Um, may God fill our hearts with generosity, and may that be expressed as we give this morning.